Good evening, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to our Bible study here at Risen Church. Uh, we're grateful and glad to be able to come together through this online means, and we're praying for all of you um, as we continue to work through this different season. We look forward to being back together in person. We were able to meet on our lawn this morning. Uh, we had a great time, a powerful uh, time of worship. We hope you can uh, tune in and catch up with those uh, that service. The video and the audio is available um, on our Facebook page. Tonight, we're going to continue our conversation about Bible prophecy, why it's important and how it impacts us. We've talked about why it's important because Jesus talked about it so much, more than any other subject, actually. Jesus talked about um, how really this, this, this whole conversation kind of centers around Israel, God's activity through Israel, God's plans for Israel, um, and how God is using the church um, in this time as well. Jesus talked about how Israel was about to face a time of destruction, and they faced that in 70 AD. Though many Jews joined the church and started the church, the nation of Israel was destroyed and was occupied by Gentiles for generations to come. For the next 2,000 years almost, uh, the nation of Israel would be under Gentile occupation. This time of the Gentiles, as Jesus referred to it, would, uh, would serve as a window of opportunity uh, for the rest of the world to come to know the God that that had exclusively worked in and around Israel for all those years before. So this time of the Gentiles um, is important for us to understand um, as the time that, that God is using and, and God is raising up and God is preparing the church for eternity. The church is uh, obviously open to any and all people, but it was started as a Gentile mission to reach the Gentiles with the, the message of the God of the Old Testament as he has revealed himself through Christ. God commissioned the church to go into all the world, not just Israel, but to all the world and reach all nations, teach all nations, and win all the nations to Jesus, to bring all of them under the, the knowledge and under into a relationship with the one true God, the God of Israel, the God who made himself known through Jesus. So this time of the Gentiles, this age of the Gentiles, where God has hit pause on Israel and turned his attention toward the rest of the world through which he is working and raising up kingdoms and lowering kingdoms and, and focusing his attention, preparing still yet for a time to come when he will refocus on Israel um, and begin to raise Israel up as the kingdom that will one day dominate this earth and through which all the people of the earth will take their orders and take their guidance and take their cues from. Even Jesus himself will rule from Israel, rule from David's throne. That is the promise, promise. That is the prophecy of the Old Testament. I know we talked about how um, Israel's uh, place in all this is very important. Um, how God has hit pause on Israel to turn to the Gentiles, but he will one day hit unpause. He will one day refocus his attention on Israel as a nation. The prophet Daniel made it very clear that God had laid out the future of Israel. Daniel saw the kingdoms of uh, the earth all rising up under Babylon, under Persia, the ones he saw in visions to come of Greece and Rome, and even a greater one after that. Daniel became worried that Israel was somehow going to be forgotten or lost in all this, but God said, no, 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 I've got a plan for Israel. My promise to Abraham remains. So God gave Daniel a vision of the future of the world, the future of Israel. God literally told Daniel specifically how long Israel would be at the center of his earthly activity. And we believe and we've come to know that 69 of those seven-year periods, um, 400-plus years, have already taken place on that prophetic timeline. But seven years remain for Israel to be at the center of God's earthly activity. When Israel 
as a nation rejected Jesus, when they cut Jesus off, when Rome crucified Jesus at the request of the Jews, God hit pause on the nation of Israel. And the time of the Gentiles began as Israel was destroyed and Jerusalem was destroyed and Judaism ended as it was given uh, instruction to, to, to operate under the Old Testament. But in 1948, Israel became a sovereign nation again, signaling that God once again was turning his attention toward Israel and that God once again was going to fulfill his promise he made to Abraham, his promise that Israel not only would bless the whole world, but that Israel would be the kingdom by which all the, whole, the rest of the world took their um, cues and, and followed and stepped from, that Israel would one day um, have a kingdom greater than that of Solomon's, greater than that of David's, fulfilling the promise that God made to the Old Testament prophets and that God wrote all over the Old Testament. But in the middle of that time period has been the time of the Gentiles, has been the church age. Now you may wonder, why do I refer to it as an age? Why do I refer to it as a period that has a beginning and an end? Well, Jesus referred to it as a period that has a beginning and an end. He commissioned the church to take the gospel to the whole world, which tells us that there's an importance, there's an end, there's something that we need to prepare for which he commanded them to take the gospel to the nations, teach and preach to all people, baptize them, bring them into your community so that they will be ready for the kingdom of God that is coming one day sooner than we may think. Jesus talked about how when the gospel has reached all the nations, then the end shall come. So he put an end on it. He put a date, right, or a time. We don't know the day or the hour, but he put an ending on the story of the church. And we piece together from the rest of the Bible, Romans 11 from last week, that that end of the church age signals the beginning, this last time of focus on Israel. Now, I want to talk tonight about um, why I believe the church age ends before this last uh, time of focus on Israel begins. I want to talk about why I believe there is going to be a rapture of the church, a removing, a taking up of the church from this earth to heaven before this time of reconciliation, this time of reckoning, this time of wrath and judgment comes on the planet. Um, and, and why I believe the church will be removed before that takes place. It's important for us to know the Bible speaks on that very clearly, I believe, and, and, and we believe the Bible speaks very clearly uh, about that. Uh, we often hear the word rapture used to describe the end of the church age. And the Bible teaches um, that there will be a rapture of the church, a day when God um, takes his church to heaven um, that will signal not the end of the world, but the beginning of this end, the beginning of this transition period. Now, I want to read from 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, where Paul writes to the Thessalonian church about this rapture, and then I want to talk about what it means to us. Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So there we have um, a clear um, description of a rapture, a taking away, a calling up of the church, um, and also the resurrection of those who had fallen asleep. Now, 
why did why does Paul refer to those who are dead as sleeping? Well, if you sleep, you're going to wake up, right? The Christians understood and, and began to characterize death as just a sleep because the Christians believed that when they lost loved ones, that those loved ones weren't lost. They weren't gone forever. They were going to wake back up um, and, and they were going to rise back up. That body and soul would be reunited, that there would be a resurrection of the dead, that their spirits in heaven would be reunited with their body to be as alive as we are today. I want to say this, that we often think about heaven as if it's a dream or as if it's a, a lesser state of living. By no means, heaven and eternity is not a lesser version of this earth. It's a better version, a more fulfilled version, a more realized version of life on this earth. It's a better life than we could ever imagine, and it's real life. It's not a dream. It's not some phantom experience. It's the real thing, even better than what we have understood as the best it can be on this side. So Paul talks about a resurrection of the dead and a rapture of the living that God will bring his church. Those who are in Christ, those who believe that Jesus is Lord, those who died in Jesus and those who live in Jesus. That's what this rapture refers to. This refers to the church being called into heaven. Now, some will say, well, this happened. Um, how do we know this will happen before the end of all things on this side or the end of days on earth? Well, Paul talks about in, in 1 Corinthians um, or 1 Thessalonians 5, he goes on to talk about um, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, this day of the Lord, this is a phrase that's used in both Old and New Testament to refer to the end times or the end of all things. Jesus used it. All the prophets used it. It refers, it's often synonymous with this tribulation period. We often hear about the time of trouble or the time of tribulation. But the way we have understood and kind of categorized the end times necessarily isn't laid out that way in the Bible. Um, but we can pull those things from Scripture, and we will talk about that. But the phrase used in the Bible is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not a specific day, um, but it refers to a, a, a kind of a time period. It refers to just an era to come when God will begin to fulfill all of his promises to this earth. His promises to restore the earth, his promises um, to Israel, his promises to the church to save us from tri uh, trials and tribulations and from destruction. Um, but the day of the Lord, it's more of a transition than an end. It's a day of wrath, of vengeance, and destruction, but it's also a day that leads to hope, restoration, and salvation. Uh, Joel, one of the minor prophets, talked about the day of the Lord, but when he talked about it, um, you can tell that he's speaking of a very broad time period. Peter quotes Joel on the day of Pentecost as uh, it talks about how this is the day of the Lord, that God is starting this church age when he is going to pour out his spirit, and he's going to save people when people to Christ or to his Messiah. So we understand this day of the Lord to kind of really encompass the entire church era, the entire age uh, and mission period of the church um, up until the very end. Now, it's important, and maybe you grew up with the phrases dispensationalism thrown around. Maybe you've heard people talk about the different eras that we've lived in. And I want to address that because it, 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 we often can get a little bit confused and get a little bit lost um, in the weeds of all these terms and all these categories. Um, the church era, why do I refer to it as an era? Why do I refer to it as a period of time that, that began and end? Well, the reason is um, Jesus sent the church on a mission. The church is on a mission to evangelize people, to take the gospel to all nations. And Matthew 24 says that when the gospel has, been, has reached all nations and all people, then the end will come. So Jesus himself put a beginning and an end 
on this age. You put a beginning and an end on this movement. That there was a mission given to us. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Teach and preach to all nations. Baptize them into your community. And prepare them for a future kingdom. So Jesus told us, hey, we're on a mission to take the gospel to people, to teach people, to train, to grow people in their faith because there's an end coming, an end when we will be judged for the lives that we live, held accountable for the lives that we live, but also begin eternal life. So there is a beginning and there is an end, and we look forward to that ending, not because we want to escape the world, but because we want to reach our destination. We want to reach um, the kingdom of God and, and realize, and for God to realize um, all of these promises. So uh, we're going to talk about that tonight. Um, what are kind of the, the, the beginning and the signs of this tribulation period? Not a specific day, but a time period through which God is is bringing um, you know uh, reconciliation to uh, to the earth, going to redeem and restore the earth. Also, a time of trouble um, when when sin and all that is evil and all that is fallen is being purged. From the earth. Um, Paul talks about that in 1 Thessalonians 5, um, that destruction comes as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. So it's, 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 it's a trouble, it's a struggle before the, the thing that you've been waiting for. Now, there are questions, and, and maybe you've heard people say, well, Christians will go through the tribulation period. Um, the reason why I believe, the reason why we as evangelicals believe that Christians won't go through the tribulation period is because of the, 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 the substance of our promise, really the nature of our salvation. First, uh, Romans 8 says that there's no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ. So if there's a period of judgment that God is bringing on this planet, then that will not include Christians because Christians have been saved from any and all judgment. 1 John 1.9 says that we have been cleansed of unrighteousness, so we don't need to go through a period on earth where unrighteousness is being cleansed. If you read Revelations, uh, Revelations 6 through 19 talks about the earth going through this cleansing and this purging process. Uh, Revelations 4 talks about John being called up and seeing the elders in heaven worshiping Jesus, worshiping their king. Um, clearly, it's a picture of the church being raptured. And, and being removed from that period of purging and that period of, uh, of, of God bringing vengeance and wrath upon the earth and cleansing the earth. Um, also important to note that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes back to the Thessalonian church and wants to remind them um, that they haven't missed the rapture because the world was going through some trouble in that day and they thought that it was already the end. Uh, Paul says, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, um, about our coming Lord. Um, I don't want you to be shaken or troubled by spirit or by word of letter um, as though the day of the Lord had already come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now, this calls back to things that we said last week about uh, from Daniel. Daniel talked about... Um, talks about a, a kingdom that's going to come in the end times um, that is that is in the spirit of or in the vein of um, a kingdom that has ruled before. Um, Daniel also said that when Jesus was cut off, the Messiah was cut off, he was killed by people of the prince who is to come. People of the prince who is to come. The people who killed Jesus, the Roman Empire, put Jesus on a cross. Daniel says that the end time kingdom, the kingdom that's going to bring all the nation together against Israel, 
um, is in the spirit of this Roman Empire of old. And when we talk about the Antichrist or this man of lawlessness or this son of perdition, we often understand this to be someone in the spirit of the Roman emperors of old, in the spirit of the Roman Empire of old, that unites the world against God's people as he did, as they did against the Jewish people in days past. That this Antichrist opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. A day when he will actually, um, you know, the, the rebuilding of the Jewish temple will take place and this Antichrist will position himself as the Messiah, uh, which will cause this conflict, obviously, uh, among the Jewish people who will then realize that Jesus was the Messiah all along, that they missed it. And the nation will turn to him and turn back to God and turn back to Jesus and make, um, make up for the error that they made to the nation 2,000 years ago. So we have this confidence that there is a rapture that's going to take place, a rapture of the church, um, a rapture of God's people, and we are going to be removed before the tribulation period comes on this planet because we have been saved, we have been spared from judgment, and God has not saved us unto wrath, but has saved us unto mercy and unto grace. So, there is a day coming, there is a tribulation period coming, but we aren't going to go through that. Um, so, all the concerns over Antichrist and Mark of the Beast, the church, we aren't going to have to face that day. We aren't going to have to go through that day. We will talk about what the tribulation period will be like. We're going to talk about um, what uh, what the people who put their faith in Christ, the Jewish people primarily, what it will be like for them um, in the next uh, in the next lesson. But I want to say um, regard, regarding um, the, uh, the the tribulation period, there's one more verse from Second Thessalonians where it says that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but he but he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit preserves our earth. The church is the salt of the earth. We are preserving our earth. When God removes the church, when God removes the Holy Spirit um, as he works through the church at, in this time, um, that's going to bring about this day of lawlessness, this day of where the enemy seizes control as if he has um, can take down the earth and ruin it as he's always wanted to. But that's going to lead to God um, bringing about um, this time of wrath, this time of vengeance, this time of destruction. It'll lead to the day of the Lord um, where God begins to restore this earth and Jesus comes to rule from this earth. We're going to talk about more of that next week, what the tribulation period will be like and um, how we know exactly this in these seven years and can we parse it up and divide it up and understand what's going to take place across those seven years. But the message that we find from God's Word tonight is that Christians, we have a rapture to look forward to. Not to escape from this world, but to just arrive in heaven. And until we are raptured, we are on mission to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Regardless of all the dates and all the timelines, here's the thing we should take heart from um, regarding the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord promises salvation to God's people. Regardless of when it happens, how it all takes place, and what comes first, the day of the Lord is a, is a, is a promise to God's people. We as God's people, as Christians, we're not promised destruction, we're promised salvation. We're not promised condemnation, we're promised um, justification in Christ. 
that though we may go through trouble on this earth, we have salvation to look forward to. We are preserved and protected in the hands of God. God is not going to trick us or trap us or get us in a corner. We've got to make a decision between Jesus and the Antichrist, Jesus and some other person. Listen, if we've trusted in Jesus, we've already made the decision. We've already put him first, and we're going to put him first as long as we live. We aren't going to have to make a decision. We've already made the decision that the Holy Spirit is limiting us to keep us following Jesus and putting Jesus first. So we don't have to worry about a day when we're going to uh, have to take a chip or have to take some sort of mark. Is that going to cost us our salvation? You can't lose your salvation. You're in Christ. You're secure. You're safe. You're sealed. You're under his blood. Nothing can take that away from you, and nothing can remove you from the hand of our Father. So we can have confidence that regardless of what we may face in the future and what decisions we may have to face, that the Holy Spirit who saved you will move through you. I don't believe you'll have to face a decision um, like that uh, of the mark of the beast. I believe we'll be out of here before that takes place. But if, in fact, we would ever face a scenario like that, God's people, God's true saved people will make the decision that will honor and glorify Jesus because we are made, we are saved by Jesus, we are filled with Jesus, and we are moved by him. And all of our decisions are, brought, are are under his guidance and under his help. So we have nothing to fear. We have everything to gain. We look forward and around in confidence. We look up with confidence. We know that there is an amazing day of restoration coming to this earth. And we know that God's going to take care of his church, preserve his church. Just like he gave Noah the ark of safety from the judgment on the planet and the flood. Just like he removed Lot from Sodom, he is going to take care of his church. We are under the blood of Jesus and nothing can take that away from us. So I comfort you with those words. Look up. Our redemption is always closer than you may think. We are in the hands of a good, good father. We have nothing to fear and everything to have faith and believe and gain. Let me, let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this awesome opportunity to focus on you, to turn our hearts towards you. God, we're thankful that you've got us in your hands. You've got a plan that is greater than we could ever come up with ourselves. Lord, we'll never know all the details. We'll never know all the, the exact order of the events of the future. But Lord, we're thankful that there's a Bible that gives us the exact orders um, of the events that have happened before. We're thankful for the prophecies that gives us a little bit of a preview of what's to come. And we leave all that in your hands. We know you didn't write all this and inspire all this so we would make charts. You wrote all this and gave this to us so our hearts could be warmed and our hearts could be encouraged with your truth. So, Father, thank you so much for goodness and mercy. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the promise um, that you've given us in Christ. And may we find comfort from these words. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.